Amen. Well, this morning is both a, an ending and a beginning. Okay, this morning we're going to finish our three-week series on pursuing kingdom relationships. Two weeks ago, if you were here, God challenged us to pursue meaningful spiritual relationships with people outside of this community, outside the family of God. And all those orange dots on these boards up here are names of people that God laid on your heart and that you offer back to him to say, I will do my best, God, with your prodding to tell them a story about you and to start that conversation. I hope you're still praying for them. I hope you're still looking for those opportunities. Last week, last week if you were here, we looked at the, the opportunities God challenges us to build kingdom relationships within this family, within the family of Ivanrest Church, and all the red dots are either people or ways that God laid in your heart that you're gonna pursue kingdom relationships right here. And this morning, we're gonna add some green dots. The 8.30 service already did add some green dots as we pursue a meaningful spiritual relationship with God himself. So it's the end of a series this morning, but it's just the beginning of our pursuit of these kingdom relationships. In fact, between the services, uh, leaders of all the various committees and ministries here at the church met together to talk specifically how they can, in their various ministry areas, help us all in practical ways pursue these three things. And so over the next 18 months, we're not going to forget about this. And hopefully you'll have opportunities again and again to deepen these relationships with the people around you, with the people here at Ivanrest Church, and with God himself. And it's that one this morning that we're going to be talking about together. I think it's the most important one, that relationship with God. Because if we don't have this vital kingdom relationship with God, if we aren't pursuing a relationship with him, then we are going to pursue a relationship with the people in our community. And we're not going to invest in the community here. And I would guess that even as you hear that, as you hear today we're talking about a kingdom relationship with God, a number of us here breathe a sigh of relief and say, whew, good, I've got that. I've got that relationship with God. This shouldn't be too challenging. This shouldn't be too hard. I can check that one off the list. After all, many of us, including myself, have grown up knowing God. And you wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't have a relationship with God. But the question that each one of us needs to ask and explore this morning is not the question, do I have a relationship with God? The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, am I pursuing a relationship with God? And there's a significant difference. You see, I have, a, I have relationships with a whole bunch of people in my life. Right? I have a relationship with my banker. Her name is Shelly. I have a relationship with my mechanic. His name is Bruce. I have a relationship with my doctor. His name is Greg. I know them all. They know me. I absolutely appreciate what they do for me. When I need their expertise, I run to them. Right? They serve a great purpose in my life, and they're there when I need them. But honestly, those are not relationships that I am pursuing. I'm pursuing relationships with my wife, with my son, with my daughter. I'm pursuing relationships in my small group and with my friends. 
those relationships go way beyond, you know, what can you do for me? And they go so much deeper. They're about truly knowing somebody and being known by them. It's about sharing life together at its deepest levels. Those are relationships I'm pursuing. To pursue means to chase after. I'm chasing after those people because I want them to know me more and I want to know them more. Okay? Now, most of us, I would say, have a relationship with God. But many of us, I would also say, are not pursuing a relationship with God. We treat God like we treat our mechanic or our doctor or our banker, right? We're certainly glad that we know him and when we need him, we know where to find him and we will go find him when we need that help. And and we'll come here on Sundays once a week to keep that relationship fresh, to keep that connection, like you do your check-in with your doctor or your banker. So we have a relationship, but maybe we aren't really pursuing that relationship. So that's the first question we each need to ask ourselves. Is your relationship with God one that you are pursuing or is it one that simply you're satisfied to tap into God's expertise when you need him? What does that look like for you? When we simply become satisfied with the relationship, when we stop pursuing God, then that relationship becomes old and empty and stale. In fact, that relationship becomes manipulative, right? We're just, we're just keeping God around so we can use him, right? We use him like our banker to provide for us what we need. We use him like our doctor, our mechanic. When things fall apart, we call on God, God, come fix it. And, and once it's fixed, then we're good again. That's far from the kind of relationship that God desires to have with you and with me. God is pursuing Chasing after a relationship with you. And pursuing a deeper kingdom relationship with God demands a desire from each one of us to be in that relationship. Because as with any relationship, it demands a high level of commitment. And honestly, most of us in our culture are not too excited about high levels of commitment. Most of us just want to We want to have a normal level of commitment. We want what's normal. That's what we strive for in life, right? We like normal. And so as parents, we want our kids to be normal. Okay, don't be too outstanding in any way. Don't be too tall or too short or or too smart. Don't be too anything, especially as kids. Like, we want to fit in. We just want normal. We want our clothes to be normal, Right? We don't want it to be too outdated. We don't want it to be too, too outlandish. Just let me fit in with everybody else. Right? We want our family to be a normal family. To do what everybody else is doing. Go to Florida for spring break just like everybody else. Have a house that, that looks just like everybody else's house. Keep up with all the electronic stuff just like everybody else. So if someone says, you have an iPhone? Of course I do. That's normal. Right? We just want to be normal. And we end up wanting that same thing in our Christian life as well. We want to live a normal Christian life. Be a pretty good person. Go to church every once in a while. We want to to make profession of faith when we're expected to make our profession of faith. We want to live the normal, acceptable Christian life. We don't want either extreme, right? We don't want to be too rebellious, and we also don't want to be too radically sold out either. 
Normal's just fine. But the problem is we don't have the right definition of normal. We define nor- a normal Christian by what society says is normal, by looking around at the people all around us. We look at what everybody else is doing and assume that's what God wants us to do. But the truth is we live in a low commitment world and Jesus calls us to a high commitment relationship. Bill Hall is an author I read a few years ago and and he talks about commitment and I found this quote stunning so I put it in your outline. It says normal has become what Christians are experiencing and practicing not what scripture teaches should be experienced and practiced. No one wants to admit that the normal Christian life has been redefined and downgraded to accommodate culture. But on a practical basis, I'm afraid that such is the case. I'm afraid that's the case in my life. I'm afraid that's the case for many of us here in this room. We've lowered the standard of our relationship with God to match what society says is normal. So the normal Christian life is what everybody else is doing as well. It isn't too outspoken about your faith, right? It isn't too radical. It blends in with the non-Christian world pretty well. It doesn't have a huge impact on your neighborhood or on your friends or your coworkers. It doesn't affect your political decisions. And that's what's normal. You know, sadly, social studies, social science in our culture today says that when you look at the behaviors of a Christian, they really aren't that different from the behaviors of a non-Christian because we're pretty normal. In God's eyes, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not normal. God is not satisfied with that kind of relationship with you and with me. God is passionately pursuing a relationship with you. And he wants you to be passionately pursuing a relationship with him. So we need to reset our definition of what's normal for us as followers of God. For those people who are passionately pursuing God, those people that we call maybe religious fanatics that we look at a little askew and say, well, that makes me uncomfortable. And maybe it's the people who are always here at church volunteering their time. Or maybe it's you know, the people we see who are talking to their friends and their family about their faith all the time. Or the people who, who we know of who set aside time every day to read their Bibles and, and even memorize scripture some. Or, or those people who who start a a neighborhood Bible study or maybe a Bible study on the lunch break at work or maybe those classmates that we see and we keep our distance from because maybe they're a little too religious or a little too pure. Those are the normal ones. They are the ones living the normal Christian life, a high commitment life that Jesus calls his people to. And we don't always like to hear that, do we, honestly? Because it's so much easier to live a low commitment life. It's so much easier to fit in with the world standards of what Christianity should like, look like rather than Jesus' standards. But Jesus himself makes it clear that a low commitment Christian life is not what he's calling us to. 
that we need to raise that standard of commitment in our lives to match what Jesus requires. Because being a Christian in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes, is more than just one more label that you kind of stick on your life, right? We have all kinds of labels. I'm a husband, uh, I'm a father, uh, I'm a friend. You can be a banker, a lawyer, a mechanic, I'm a student, I'm an American, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, and I'm a Christian, by the way. No, no, it's not one more in the whole line of labels in your life. Above all else, far above all else, I am a Christian. I am a pursuer of God. That's the way it's got to be. And what, what does that kind of commitment look like then? What does God ask of us? Well, Jesus didn't keep that a mystery. Listen to the standard that Jesus set for us in Mark chapter 8. I put the words on the screen and in your, in your outline. Jesus said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's for anyone. If anyone would come after me, that means you. That means me. If we want to be followers of Jesus, then he says we must be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Pursue him. Chase after him. We must be willing to give everything we are and everything we have to be in complete commitment to him. So what does that look like practically? What does complete commitment to God look like in our lives today? Well, take out your Bibles if you haven't already. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, found on page 852. We're gonna start at verse 20, so it's the very first verse on the left-hand page. Luke 18, verse 20. Here in, in this chapter... Jesus has a really good young man, a religious young man, come to him. And he, he, he wants to be a pursuer of God, a follower of God. And so he asked Jesus, what do I need to do? And in verse 20, Jesus guides him down the moral path that we so often define the Christian life by. Verse 20, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And the young man responds and says, great, I've done all those things. He says, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. But then Jesus raises the stakes on him. He moves beyond obedience and he moves to commitment. Listen to verse 22. He says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now this command that Jesus gives is not primarily a command for all of us to give away our earthly possessions. This command is about being completely committed to Jesus Christ above all else. And the next verse tells us that this, this young man walked away sad because he was a man with great wealth. This cost of commitment was too high to him. He was willing to obey, yes, but he wasn't willing to commit, to pursue God 
with everything he has because he was more interested in pursuing his wealth than he was in pursuing a relationship with God. God ra- Jesus raised the bar of commitment for him and God does the same thing for you and me this morning. A kingdom relationship with God demands that there cannot be anything more important than Jesus. There cannot be anything more important than God. If there is anything in your life or in my life that is off limits to God, then we are falling short of the standard that God has given us. Right? So, so put yourself in this young man's position for a moment. What, what if... What if God made it clear to you this morning that he wants you, for his kingdom purposes, to be downwardly mobile? What if God laid it on your heart this morning that he wants you to sell your boat? That he wants you to sell your cottage? That he wants you, he knows about the road trip you're planning next summer. What if he said, I don't want you to take that trip? What if he said, I want you to trade in your SUV and buy a cheap minivan, used instead? What if he said, I know you're thinking about moving up to a bigger and better home, but I want you to stay where you're at. And I want you to use the funds that you save from those things. And I want you to use it for a kingdom purpose. Could you do it? Would you do it? I'm not saying you need to do any of those things, okay? That's not the point. Maybe God's saying it, but I'm not. But I am challenging to honestly ask yourself if you could do it if God asks you to. Maybe it's something else in your life. What if God said to you, you're a high schooler, and God said to you, I know that you run with a cool crowd. And I know that that you're able to dismiss those kids who are on the fringes and ignore them. But you know what? I want you to give up running with the cool crowd. And I want you, starting Monday, in the school hallways, to befriend those people that nobody be friends. What if you're, you're planning out your career dream that's going to bring you wealth and it's going it's to be a great, it's going to financially secure, bring you accolades and God said, you know what, I don't want you to pursue that career dream. I want you to use your gifts for a different purpose, one that maybe won't bring you the kind of funds that you're looking for and the kind of glory that you've been dreaming of, but one that will serve my kingdom purpose. What if God simply said, I know, I know your hobby your hobby that you're investing tons of time in and tons of money in. And what if God said, it's time to scale that back. It's time to give up that hobby and to invest more time and more of your resources into something with a greater kingdom purpose. Could you? Would you? If your answer is no, then like this young man in Jesus' story that if, if the price is too high and you'll walk away, then it's time to raise the standard of our commitment. It's time to raise the bar in our pursuing of God. Yeah, but Jesus goes even, even further than that. Okay, he makes it clear we must be committed to him above anything else. And he also says we must be committed to him above anyone else. Turn back a couple pages with me to Luke chapter 14, page 848. Luke chapter 14, we're going to look at just two verses to start with, 26 and 27. 
I think these two verses, Luke 14, 26, and 27, are one of Jesus' most shocking and stunning teachings in the whole Bible. Listen to what he says. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Those are harsh words. And I don't think Jesus here is intending to break up families. I don't think he's reaffirming rebellion and division within the family structure. That's not his point. His point is commitment. Jesus is using strong language here to get a strong teaching about commitment to God across. And his message is that we should be more committed to Jesus and to the purposes of God's kingdom than to anyone else. Of all the people that we love the most, parents, spouse, children, grandchildren, we must love none of them more than we love Jesus. If we want to be pursuing a relationship with God, if we want to be a disciple, then we must love him more than anyone. The standard has been set. The bar has been raised. Nothing and no one comes between you and Jesus, you and God. That is complete commitment. So the question that each one of us needs to ask and answer for ourselves is are we really willing to be that committed? Now the right and easy answer is yes, right? We're sitting in church, so the right answer is yes, of course. Jesus slows us down before we give that easy right answer. He invites us in this Luke 14 passage to sit down for a moment and count the cost before you sign on for this kind of relationship. Recognize that the price that comes from being in a kingdom relationship with God. Pick it up again at verse 28. Keep reading with me. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who is coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus requires us to count the cost before we pursue a kingdom relationship. And this is really the uncomfortable truth about the Christian life that we don't talk about very often. Right? We, we love to celebrate the undeserved blessings that are ours, right? both now in this life and for eternity through the grace of God. And we should. We should celebrate all the time the saving grace and the daily grace that God gives us. But we cannot ignore the truth that God expects our lives in return. 
God expects high commitment from his people. So here, Jesus invites you and he invites me this morning to sit down for a moment and make sure that you're really ready to make that kind of complete commitment to God. Before you call yourself a Christian, make sure you're ready to make that complete commitment because being a Christian is about more than just church attendance. It's about more than just putting in your tithe in the offering plate and doing your duty, volunteering every once in a while here or there. Being a Christian isn't just about obeying commandments and living a better life than the people around you. Being a Christian is at the heart about being in a kingdom relationship with God, a totally sold out relationship with him. Pursuing that, chasing after God with all that you are, that there's nothing in your life more valuable than him. There is no one in your life that you love more than him. And there's nothing that you would not do if he asked you to. That's not the radical Christian life. That's the normal Christian life. A high commitment to Jesus and his kingdom purposes. And this morning, right here in this place, God wants you to know that from his end, he is relentlessly pursuing a relationship with you. He is. There's nothing that he wouldn't do in pursuit of your heart. That's, that's what this table here in front of you is all about. This table isn't just about remembering. Partly it is. When we taste the bread and when we drink the juice this morning, we're going to remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ given for us. We're going to remember that God desires a relationship with you and with me so much that there is no one he wasn't willing to sacrifice. He sacrificed his very own son, his own child, to be in a love relationship with you, to pursue you. So we're gonna remember, yes, and that's important. But with the bread and with the juice this morning, we are also going to make a declaration today. We are gonna declare in that very moment with these people together as witnesses that we too will pursue our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's our public declaration that we will pursue the God who is pursuing us, no matter the cost. So before you take the bread and the juice in just a moment, we're gonna have an honest conversation with God. You need to have an honest conversation with God. Because there is no doubt that he is pursuing you. He has proven that again and again and again. But are you able to honestly say that you are pursuing him, chasing after him, heart, soul, mind, and strength? Our God invites us this morning into a relationship of grace 
that will transform you for today, that will transform you for eternity. He loves you so much. And at this table, he's declaring to the world and to each one of us, I am pursuing you. And he would love nothing better than to hear back from each one of us. And I will pursue you. Let's spend a few moments in prayer as we prepare for the table. Father God, what an amazingly high standard of commitment you have set for our relationship with you. When it came to pursuing our hearts, when it came to pursuing a relationship with us, you gave it all. You laid down your very life to chase after our hearts, to bring us back to you, to bridge the distance so that you might embrace us as your children once again. Thank you. That's our first reaction is to say thank you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to be in a relationship with you. And we confess, we confess that we have not pursued you the way that you've asked us to. There are so many things in in this world, in this society, in our lives that we love so much, that we've kept away from you, that we've said to you, these are off limits, God. Now, without realizing that what we've said to you is we love these things more than you. We will pursue these things more than we will pursue a relationship with you. And so we humbly come to you in this moment, Father. And we explore our lives honestly and we identify those things that we have a hard time laying down before you. And we offer them to you. We count the cost and we say, Father, I love you more. I want to pursue you even more. Father, we recognize that we will need your grace because we will fall short of this high standard of commitment that you have set again and again and again. The things of this world, the other relationships will keep coming between us and you. And I thank you for your grace that forgives us again and again. But in this moment, between you and me, and with these people as our witnesses, we make the promise to pursue a relationship with you above all else. Thank you for loving us so much, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the elders who are going to help me serve this morning in the worship team to come on forward if you would.